Um, evening everyone, it is um, so awesome to be able to be together to do something a little bit different, at least for us as Harvest. I know there's people visiting from different churches, some are here uh, in a church service for the first time, and either way we just want you to feel welcome, and I trust that each of us, wherever we're at, would uh, be able to learn something more um, of uh, what we're about in this Christmas season. Um, so, we're all on an exploration journey. Sorry, I'm going to look that side. I usually look at this side. Unfortunately, you guys, I think you'll still be able to see across there. Now, we're all on an exploration journey. Here's a painting of one of the ship fleets of Christopher Columbus. He was a famous explorer. He was someone who longed for places, for things that no one else had yet experienced. He wanted to discover, he wanted to learn, he wanted to find out new and fresh things. The bottom line is, is all of us are all on a search. We might be here today and we're on a search for who God is. Is there just one God? Are there many gods? Is God relevant to me? Is he a God who's far off? Or is he a God who's close? We're on this exploration journey. We're searching for meaning. We're searching for purpose. We're searching for truth. Maybe for some of us here who would consider ourselves Christ followers, we're coming towards another Christmas period, a time where we celebrate uh, God who came to earth. And maybe for some of us we're going, but it just doesn't seem to have that much effect in my life. I would consider myself a Christ follower, but it just doesn't really feel like God is that active in my life. This is for you as well. But what's guiding our search? Who's guiding our search? Who are we looking to? Who are we asking for advice? Where are we getting stuck into? Or are we stumbling around in the dark? There's that great passage which actually uh, Ian read at the start, which is in Isaiah, the book in the Bible, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Now, you and I may not feel like we're in darkness. Well, those in the back are a little bit in a physical sense. But spiritually, you might not feel like you're in darkness here tonight. Um, but are we prepared to open ourselves up to say there may be a light out there that we haven't seen yet? I believe if we're all honest with ourselves, we don't know all that there is to know in this world. And I believe that King Jesus has been giving us lights along the way since the beginning of time. To give us a taste, just enough to explore further like Christopher Columbus, just enough to go deeper in our faith. And we're going to look at some of those lights here tonight. So Genesis 1. We're not going to go through the whole book of the Bible, we, uh, or the whole Bible. We've got about 10 minutes together, so kids, uh, stay tuned, and there's going to be some things for you as well. Look what it says here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So, first lamp, first light that God points us to is actually at the end there, where it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So, God created the sun, but in the midst of the sun, it's just, so the sun is a star in the midst of many other stars. It's not the biggest star, it happens to be the star that's closest to us. So, He creates our uh, sun over there. Um, it should do a little bit of moving, you can see there, a bit of what it looks like from far out provides light, provides warmth, it provides direction. But he didn't stop there. He kept creating. He kept making things. And so we have Earth, beautiful planet that we obviously live on. Africa to the side, you can't quite see Zimbabwe, but an absolutely stunning place to live. And our planet is 
absolutely fine-tuned for human and animal survival. It is absolutely fine-tuned for it. You see, this planet of ours requires a vast number of constants for us to live this very moment. The amount of oxygen in the atmosphere, the amount of hydrogen, our proximity to the sun, an inch closer, um, uh, we burn to death, inch further away, we freeze. Gravitational force that keeps us here and stops us from floating away. Rotational speed, the existence of water, and so much more. They say, scientists say there's 26 main constants that have to remain perfect without wavering at all times for survival to happen on this planet, for us to exist. It's absolutely astounding. And then God goes on and He makes animals and He makes people. So uh, this is geckos. And geckos, uh, I absolutely love them, except in Thailand. If you ever go on holiday to Thailand, they are violent and they are nasty. In fact, if, you, if you're sort of sleeping in a room there, they fight each other in the middle of the night, but it's, it's ferocious. They knock each other off the walls, you don't get a lot of sleep. So uh, they're nice in Zimbabwe, but they're not nice in the eastern side of the globe. But a question that many ask with geckos is where did the tiny little hairs that they have on their feet to help them climb up walls and hold onto the ceiling, where did those come from? Because the reality is, is that geckos didn't go along on the floor like lizards. And suddenly one day a little gecko was like, mm, I've got very, very flat hands and feet, but I'm just going to start trying to climb the wall. So he pads up and he falls, pads up and he falls, pads up and he falls, and then he dies. Then the next one comes along, and the next one, because that gecko had tried for quite a while, he happened to have two or three little hairs on, his, on one of his feet. So he tries again and he gets one arm up and he fails, he gets one arm up and he fails. All the other geckos on the ground are laughing at him, um, he's a laughing stop. It just doesn't happen like that. It's impossible to happen like that. So I've got a short little clip I'll show you on how exactly they work. Great, so the reason I, um, uh, I show you that is because geckos are one of the incredible animals that just couldn't have really evolved. There's no opportunity for a gecko to suddenly, or not suddenly, over time, learn to climb up a wall from being on the ground. He had to be created with those very special hairs on his feet. But what about humans? Now, this is quite incredible. So there's a baby at about five months old, five to six months old. And uh, the amazing thing, or two incredible things that happen in the five to six month phase that I wanted to share on briefly, you might have heard others share on this. Well, at the five-month phase is about when babies first get sight. Now they can't see yet because they don't have any eyelids, it's actually just flesh that's covering them. But what happens is about a million optic nerves leave the brain center and a million optic nerves leave the eyeball, as it were, and those have to match perfectly. One million to one million have to find the corresponding partner, otherwise there's no sight. And that happens mysteriously, miraculously, at five months, just happens like that. Now, if you jump on a bit more to six months, what happens is, is, and no one has any argument for this, no one has any reasoning for this, is that mysteriously, there's these little scissors, as it were, and the eyelids just get cut. Six months, done, and suddenly the eyelids start opening and closing. Now, what makes that happen? What makes the eyelids suddenly happen? Could that just have happened by accident? I don't think so. The list could go on. But to help with the kids here, and I hope you enjoy this, I hope it's gonna be good enough quality um, that I found. I wanted to show you a little clip that I think helps to give a great idea of God's excitement at creation and the creative world that we see. So let's see uh, how it works, and we'll just have to check on the volume.
absolutely love um, that uh, little picture. Obviously, they got it a bit wrong. It was made by South Africans, and they didn't know that we have uh, five hands, not, uh, five fingers on our hands, not uh, four. But uh, we'll let them off. So I absolutely love that little picture of God's excitement at creation that He made. Do you want to know the chance of life on Earth being random? It's so incredibly small that scientists say it's basically impossible to measure. Do you and I really want to bet our lives on something that small, that it could all be chance? Did everything randomly happen? I think we know deep down it didn't. How could it have? Can something that has no life suddenly become life, not ever seen in scientific research? Can we mutate or evolve with improvement and getting better over time, never scientifically observed? And the Bible says that we're made in God's image as people. So where does our desire to explore come from, like Christopher Columbus? Other parts of creation, don't worry about that. Where's our thoughts of right and wrong? Where does that come from? Romans 1, verses uh, 20. Look what it says here about creation. And this uh, is uh, our second light. For his invisible attributes, this is talking about God, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what has been made. As a result, people are without excuse. So what God is saying with our second one, let's see how this works. Oh, footprints. Ooh. Our second light creation. And God would say as a light, just how creation functions, just how we get to be here, this world operates, leaves us with no excuse. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm giving these lights to my existence. But there's more. And there's more not in the best way. And that's that sin, the mess in our lives, enters. It says in Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, we believe God created, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all have sinned. So Adam and Eve made a decision to go against what uh, God said, what he had decided was best for them, and that started the root of a tree inside our hearts, the tree of sin. See, God planned perfect relationship, and he can't be in the presence of sin. But that decision caused a divide between us and God, our heart, and His heart. That in itself is a light to the mess that we find ourselves in. And that is another light, the mess of this world. I'm going to share a little bit more on it. Perfect. So that's another one. Maybe some of us don't really feel that bad. Please could you, if you don't feel that bad, please could you get me a DVD, briefly, or a flash drive, we don't really live in DVD world anymore, of everything you've thought, said, and done just in the past 24 hours, and uh, we'll play it next week, same time, same place. Um, everyone can come popcorn and stuff, and I'd love to see you there excited in the front seats. It's not going to happen. The reason is, is because all of us know that there's mess in our lives. We all have it. We don't teach our children to be nasty. We don't train ourselves to act in anger and impatience to treat people badly. But we do. For most part, for most of us, we feel that it's wrong. There are a few who have no problems with murder, but they would be the outliers. The majority of us in the world would say, we believe there is a problem with that. And that's the great difference between us and animals. You see the lion that I've got a picture of here, he doesn't worry about murder in the savannah. So the lions don't get together and go, Chish, listen, it's actually horrific what's happening in there. It's the Holocaust, it's massacre out there. Poor little impalas, poor little wildebeest, they're just getting slayed by other lions. We have to stop this. We've got to put an end to this right now. They don't. They couldn't care less. They just take those things out. We are made differently. They don't hold conferences to work out how to reduce the murder in the savannah. 
You see, we know the world's a mess and we care about it. And this is a light to us being created in the image of a God who cares about the brokenness of the world too. And then people start to talk of a great event to come. It's going to be our fourth light. Over a large space of time in different geographic locations, written by different people, spoken by different people, people start to talk of an event, of a person coming who's going to sort out the brokenness in the world, who's going to sort out the problem in our hearts. Someone to help us sort out this mess. We've got people writing hundreds of years apart, hundreds of years before the event, where it was going to take place, how this God-man would come into the world, and then it went on further, how he was going to die. We're not going to talk about that too much now, but dying in a way that hadn't even been invented yet, but people were writing about it. It's absolutely astounding. The fact that he would be born of a virgin, this is spoken about hundreds of years before, what he would do, and the list goes on. Now, I want you to reach, not all of you, Shane, there's only going to be five lucky ones, but I'd love you to reach under your chairs and one next to you, and there should be five surprises in the hall. I'm really sorry if it's not you. You just weren't chosen by the Lord tonight. Maybe a few if you get one. Just put your hand up if you get one. I think there's five. If you find one, hey, well done. One over there. And if you're an adult, you might be nice and give it to a kid around you. You might not. It's up to you. Anyone else? Have we got five? One. Have we only got one so far? Two. The others. Another one at the back there. Three. Any others? Uh, some others are too shy to get under their seats. Well done. Okay, so kids, I think there's another two up for grabs. You can look afterwards, probably by some more mature people who didn't want to climb down onto their chairs. Okay, so you can do a little search from that. That's not a problem at all. Now, so there were five. Thanks so much. You get to dump. Now, there were five little Freddos that I placed here at random. So the chance of you, out of the group of people here, I don't exactly know how many there are here, but say there's 250. So those, the chance of you coming in here at random and getting one of those Freddos, five out of 250, right? Quite small odds that you had to work with. Now, listen to this. And this is gonna be another light in itself. Is this astounding proof that Jesus was who he said he was and that he actually came? Now this is the probability 1 times 10 to the 17 chance of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the things said about him. People say that there were hundreds of things written of how he would come and what he would do. But just eight things, if he just fulfilled those, that's the chance of him fulfilling those without knowing anything about it, just on what was written before he came to earth. Now the writers um, and the people who produced the Jesus film, look at what it says over here. This is our quote from it here. Some scholars believe that there are more than 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. These prophecies are specific enough that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a handful of them, let alone all of them, is staggeringly improbable, if not impossible. Now listen to this guy. Peter Stoner, chairman of the Department of Mathematics at Pasadena College. He was passionate about biblical prophecy. So he got 600 students, he got them together, and they just looked at eight of the specific probabilities about Jesus. They came up with an extremely conservative probability for each one being fulfilled, and then they considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all of these at the same time. Their conclusion was staggering, and that was the result they got. Now, if we visualize this, this is how it works. If you mark one of 10 tickets, you place all those tickets in a hat, you thoroughly stir them, 
and then you ask a blindfolded man to draw one, this chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10, right? Okay, suppose that now we take 10 to the power 17 like that of silver coins, bond coins, eh? If you can ever find them, bond coins, you lay them on the face of Texas. Now, Texas is about twice the size of Zimbabwe. So imagine two Zimbabwe's together. You layer two Zimbabwe's together with these silver coins. They will cover Zimbabwe four times two feet deep. So eight feet deep, Zimbabwe would be covered. Now mark one of these silver dollars, stir the whole mass together of all of those coins, do a whole like, mass together, then get a blindfolded man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting that right? We would all say basically nothing. Well, just the same chance that the prophets who wrote hundreds of years before would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing their own using their own wisdom. Absolutely incredible. Just the fact that Jesus came how he did if we look at those prophecies is a light to say this man is who he said he was. The final light. The one who divides history. He came. So Jesus came. He probably didn't look like that with blonde hair. But that's the best that we have. He came in a way that wasn't expected that a king should come. Which is why he was rejected by his people and by many others as well. People were looking for someone who would come in might and power and would sort out their physical problems. He would take control of the places in which they lived. He would be a king on earth and would fix all of their problems. He would make their lives easy. But he came for a greater problem. Not so much the problem of the external. He came for the problem of the internal. The problem of the heart. He's a king. And one day that will be plain for everyone to see. John 8 verse 12, as we close off with, this is what it says, it's just amazing. Jesus spoke, he's got a bit older now. He spoke to them again, the people questioning who he was, and he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you see, light has come. Light had come. No matter our human progress, no matter the scientific breakthroughs that we make, that we experience we have a greater problem and a greater need and that starts on the inside it's not about the outside it's the need for forgiveness the need for purpose the need for hope and it's found in the arrival of the god man jesus there and that's the call that you and i have tonight if you're still exploring the christian faith maybe this is your first step through church doors if you're still exploring it starts with christ was he god in the flesh is he the light of the world? And my one challenge to you as you go from now. It says in Jer Jeremiah 29 verse 13. It says you, seek, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I just want to say to you. If you would seek for Jesus with an open heart. With an open mind. And you would seek to find. I have no doubt that you will. That's my prayer for you. We're here as a team to talk to you afterwards. Or the weeks ahead at this church or another. But seek him. Seek Him with all your heart and you will find Him. And you will experience purpose, hope and joy that you can't describe. So tonight's the time to seek. Tonight's the time to act. Tonight's the time for you to take a step forward. What if you're a Christ follower here tonight? Maybe you've heard the Christmas story of the King coming hundreds of times and it really has lost its power in your life. Well, you've got a choice. 
for Jesus to be the central reason for all of your Christmas celebrations or not. You've got a choice for him to be the key amongst many others, or you've got a choice for him just to be a box you tick because it's what you're supposed to do. The challenge for you as Christ follows here tonight is will you give him everything? If he truly is the king come to transform history, to change us from the inside out, will you give him everything? Will this Christmas season be more to you, much deeper than the presents, much deeper than a tree, more than the great food? Will it start a yearning in you to live for him no matter the cost because he is the king? Will it start that yearning within you? You see, his birth is just the start of the story, but if you believe it, it changes everything. It's just the start of what he went on to do, the start of why he came. But if you believe it and you take it as truth, it changes everything. Because he truly is the light that's coming to the world. And he truly wants to give you the light of life. If you're struggling with feeling down this Christmas, if you're struggling with feeling rather depressed, if you're struggling with feeling, I just don't really have much purpose. Well, get close to him because he's the light of life. You could be anywhere in the world. But if you have the light of life within you, there's joy and there's purpose that abounds. That's my prayer for you tonight. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, shall we stand? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to sing one last song as we close. So the band's going to come and lead us. But let's stand and I want to pray for us together. Maybe you could just settle your heart. You know where you stand here tonight. You know if you're exploring. You know if this is the first time you're hearing the story. Or maybe you've put God to the background and... Just in a few things that have been said and a little bits of scripture has come to the foreground. Maybe you're one of the ones who thinks have just got a bit stale. You're just going, it's, it's, I really want to have this yearning and this, this excitement, this light of life. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so incredibly good. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us, that you touch us, that you show us the reality of who you are. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are true. Thank you that you are light. Thank you that you've come. Thank you that you came in humility. Didn't come in pomp and power, but you came in humility, identifying with the very least of us. Nothing special, but God in the flesh. You came to fix a great problem in our lives, problem in the world at large. It was set in motion before the world was created. You knew what you were going to do. It didn't take you by surprise. But you coming to earth for... For our saving grace to eventually die on the cross for us, to purchase us for yourselves, and to get the glory which we know you will. Father, as we sing this final song, I ask you to continue to speak. I ask that this season, December 2019, would be transformative, would be life-changing for each of us. That Christmas, Christmas, would take on a new meaning, a deeper meaning, a greater passion than it ever has been. And only you can do that, Holy Spirit. As we sing this final song, we ask that you would do that right now. Amen. Thanks, Richard.